Hey, good morning. Why don't you join me in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to go ahead and, again, continue where we left off last time, and uh, we're going to look today at verses 26 and 27. So uh, if you got your Bible ready there, let's go ahead and read that. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So, um, likewise, it's almost like a therefore, it's kind of a connective quality to that. Well, what has been uh, Paul been talking about prior to this? He's uh, just prior to this talking about this glorious hope that we have. Um, the hope of heaven, the hope of having glorified bodies that are fit for heaven. This is a, a mystery that has uh, been explained by him, not only touched on here in Romans, but also in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, and that and that uh, in passages like that. So, um, so this is the hope that Paul has been talking about, but it speaks to something that we have not yet seen, something that is yet unseen. Um, and so... Matter of fact, in verse 24, he says, we're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance or with steadfast endurance. The idea that we press on in the knowledge that this hope is for sure, but it just still has yet to be realized. And so we haven't seen it yet, right? Um, uh, uh, Hebrews 11, um, you know, he who would please God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so we recognize that a, a, there's a part of our faith, a part of our hope that is yet unseen, uh, a glorious part that is yet to be seen, but we know it will be seen one day. But we still live in that place where we don't yet see it. And so therefore, likewise, verse 26, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Now, there is a general sense of that. The Holy Spirit does help us in our weaknesses, whether it's lapses in faith or whether it's maybe in a physical need that we have or something where maybe a healing or a provision of some kind. The Holy Spirit meets with us in those contexts in a general sense. But we shouldn't necessarily miss or uh, certainly not divorce it from the immediate thought. And that is that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. But there is one in particular that's in view. And that is the fact that we don't see what is yet to come or we don't see what is yet going on in the spiritual side of things in our faith. We only really see the physical and the practical at this point. One day we'll have a fuller, uh, more expansive, not just view, but even literal experience in the midst of it. But right now we don't. So the Holy Spirit helps us even in that. And here's in, in, in this, it's in this way. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Why not? Why don't we know how we should pray as we ought? Well, sometimes we have an idea of what to be praying for. But because we're talking here about things that are unseen, what seems to be implied is the idea that there are things beyond the scope of our visible frame of reference that are going on that we don't know about. This is why when we talk about things like prayer, we talk about faith, we talk about hope, we talk about these things that um, really are our tether to the Lord, but they are connected with the idea of things that are not yet seen, that we have to seek this Holy Spirit's guidance on these things. We want to ask him to give us wisdom that we might pray as we ought. And even he'll go on to describe that even when we just really don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit, or we, you know, whether it's in groanings or heaviness or difficulty, we just can't even find the words, or whether it's just because we don't know what God is ultimately doing in a circumstance. The Holy Spirit takes that which we do pray and ultimately brings it to the Father, um, 
on our behalf. He knows our intention, if our intention is, in fact, for God's will to be fully accomplished and realized, that even when we pray askew, the Holy Spirit can still take those things to the Father. Uh, in other words, our lack of ability to see what we should specifically pray for in some instances does not hinder or hamper our ability to still pray in those instances. The Holy Spirit takes those things and ultimately brings them before the Father. Why? Because he makes intercession with us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. And now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Who is he who searches the hearts? Well, God does that, right? Uh, Behold, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the hearts. Um, We know that he's the one who ultimately searches our hearts. And the Holy, he knows the the Spirit, obviously, as well. And there's sort of a a clumsy, uh, albeit inspired, you know, but it's, it's, it's a way of saying something that is patently true. It's obviously true. Obviously, the Father and the Spirit know each other because they are one in being, though they are distinct in person, as the doctrine of the Trinity would would uh, would state, <coughs> it would involve. So when the Holy Spirit, who is known by the Father, takes those prayers that are offered by us, even when we don't fully know how we should be praying, there is this implied in this concept here is this element and level of intimacy with God that even when we don't know what we should be praying, still we can communicate with God, both in the spirit of God himself, but also with the Father in this. And of course, we often then pray in Jesus' name. There's oftentimes in prayer a very clear picture of the working of the of the Trinity within our even our prayer life. But this is one of those places where there's sort of a pulling back of the curtain on that a little bit so we can see some of the interaction that takes place between the Spirit and the Father on behalf of the children of God, followers of Christ. And so, um, again, now we, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now this is a big thing for us to make sure we get our minds around, is that the Holy Spirit is always about uh, helping us to live out the answer to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God is perfect, it's right. Um, matter of fact, he will go on in verse 28 and talk about how all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This we know. Well, what is that but the will of God in action? And so when we are praying when we are seeking for God to answer prayer, the will of God has to be central in that. Because if we're not praying for his will to be done, whose will are we praying to be done? Well, and on top of that, as we'll see in, in uh, verse 28, if we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, and then of course he goes on to describe more in detail what that really is all about. If we are praying something outside the will of God, then we are praying for less than all things that are working together for good. And so this becomes the big question. Well, what is the will of God in any given circumstance? Whether it be a a question about a direction to go with a job or a relationship or healing for that matter. Anything that falls under the auspices of the will of God in the life of a believer, God is working out for good. We just don't always know what that is. And so therefore the Holy Spirit takes those things that we are praying, even with our limited knowledge, and he brings them before the Father. There is such grace in this and such a an invitation to enjoy the intimacy of relationship with God that he's invited us to. I'm just realized I'm not looking as I should be. I apologize. I'm trying to get better at that. But um, but this is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, this, of course, is another facet to the element of the Holy Spirit's activity in the life of a believer. Uh, we'll look at a couple others here just briefly. Again, this will be a relatively brief study today, probably the shortest I've done in a long time. Um, but I just, again, I'm dealing with two verses on a very particular subject, but I want to take a minute to touch on a couple of other things that um, that the scriptures teach us about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. 
Um, for example, um, when Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples in chapter 14, before he's about to be arrested and, and taken and crucified, he says this in verse 15 of verse of chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, he, uh, that he may abide with you forever. Now, think about that. He's going to send another helper. The terminology there speaks of one who is distinct from himself, but yet very much like himself. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a lot like Jesus, though distinct from him. And a couple of things are mentioned about what he does. First off, he will abide with you forever. He will abide with you forever. Now, of course, Jesus elsewhere would speak about the idea of the Spirit not only being with us, but also in us. We'll see that here. As a matter of fact, let me just finish the passage and read that. Uh, the Spirit of truth, referring again to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That happens in John chapter 20 after the resurrection where Jesus breathes upon them, the disciples, and says, receive the Holy Spirit. At this point, believers, uh, the disciples become what we would consider to be New Testament believers. Um, and he goes on to say, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. But the Holy Spirit is in believers. He's not just with us, but he's actually in us. Paul in the uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 13 would talk about how the Holy Spirit is the seal of our guarantee until that day when that purchased possession is fully redeemed. And so the Holy Spirit is in us as the seal of that guarantee, but he also does other things. He is the spirit of truth. He abides with us forever and he's the spirit of truth. In other words, that which proceeds from him is true. What he says is true. He guides us into all truth, as Jesus would go on to say. Um, but he's also um, someone that the world cannot receive. He is given to believers, and he indwells only believers. Um, it's not like the Holy Spirit's not active outside of believers in the world, but there is a very special relationship that believers have with God in that they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and sealed by him. Um, but we know him. We know him. Again, the element of personality of knowing the Holy Spirit. I like to say, and I'm really going to kind of wrap this up here at this point, but when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's oftentimes this misunderstanding and even fear of him because he's been portrayed in such a way as to be thought of as a force that is sort of used to get what we want or to, to do crazy things and all this kind of thing. Uh, the faith, quote-unquote, movement, for example, people like uh, Rodney Howard Brown or Kenneth Copeland or Benny Hinn or Creflo Dollar or any number of people that fall into that camp would refer to the Holy Spirit. They might say he, but but really they treat the Holy Spirit as though he were an it that is just a force to be used to get what you want or to do miraculous things. But the Holy Spirit has personality. Unfortunately, he's been left to feel like sort of the X factor of the Trinity, the loose cannon within the triune nature of God that does crazy things and people are afraid of him. Jesus said he's actually a lot like me. He's distinct from me, but he's like me. In other words, what you've come to know about me will certainly be true about him in terms of personality and that kind of thing. Um, and so we should not be afraid of the Holy Spirit, especially in light of the things we're talking about back in Romans, where he is given to us, uh, again, Ephesians 1 is the seal of our guarantee. He will be with us and also in us as believers, as Jesus said in John 14. And of course, throughout the upper room discourse, Jesus talks to the Holy Spirit, refers, to, refers I should say, to the Holy Spirit a number of times. And then again, here in Romans, to bring it back around, he is taking our prayers, even when we don't fully understand how we should pray. 
and he brings them before the Father, even though we only see a little bit of what's going on. And so we don't always pray with the knowledge that we could, if we could see that. He still takes our prayers. We're not prohibited from still coming before the Father, even though it might be in literally, plainly, just ignorance of of circumstances. But the Holy Spirit is there to take our prayers, to sort of bridge that and make that bond between us and the Father, even when we don't know how we should pray. Uh, And of course, the scriptures say a lot about prayer and that kind of thing. But in this particular passage, there's this wonderful insertion of this truth of the Holy Spirit in this discussion of what we are yet hoping for, but have not yet seen. And I think it's just wonderfully and beautifully placed there. And hopefully it provides a springboard for you to do some more personal study on the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you go to my website at parsonspad.com and you go into the uh, topical study section, there is a section where we did touch on some of these things in a brief study on the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that might be worth checking out if it's of any benefit or help to you. But but definitely the scripture is where you want to go to spend time understanding the person of the Holy Spirit, inviting him into your life uh, in a deep way where you are not afraid of him. He's not going to make you do crazy, stupid things. He is actually going to bring you comfort. He's going to bring to your uh, remembrance those things that Jesus said. He's going to help you in times when you find yourself in places of testimony. He'll give you the words to say in those moments. Not that we don't study and prepare, but in moments where we find ourselves just in that situation, the Holy Spirit is there to help us in those times. Of course, he gives gifts in that. We've talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, um, it's just two verses in this passage, but I didn't want to really do that and then go into Romans 8, 28 through 38, which is going to take us a little bit of time to get through because this is, um, this is one, another one of those mountaintop passages in Romans and there are many of them, but this is another one coming up. So when we do get into that, we're going to go ahead and, and, uh, spend a, a bit of a season in that, um, coming to understand it. And then of course, as we move into Romans 9 through 11, that's another gigantic mountaintop passage, um, Romans is just so good. It's uh, it's such a good book for us to spend time in. So thanks for joining again. But uh, Father, we thank you that um, uh, even as Jesus said, we're not left orphans. Uh, we know that you're with us all all the time. We know that Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. And as we even as we learn today, we understand the Holy Spirit uh, is also actively involved both in the believer and also working uh, with the believer and in helping us even in things that are as intimate as prayer. Uh, taking things that we may not even fully understand or know how to pray about, things that, that, that delve into the unseen part of our hope that is yet to be fully realized. But the Holy Spirit is there, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for taking the things that are on our hearts, the things that are on our minds, the things that burden us and weigh us down, the things that represent our weaknesses and our needs, uh, even when it comes to our inability to sometimes pray with knowledge and understanding. We thank you that you're there and that you take these things to the Father. These things don't just get left at the doorstep, but Father, but, but, but uh, Holy Spirit, you bring them to the Father. So thank you for this. And we are so grateful uh, for the relationship that we are called into as believers, the wonderful depth of relationship, the beautiful experience of walking with God, both in the knowledge of his word, but also just in the knowledge that knowing you're always with us, that we never have to feel like we're facing life alone because you've told us so. And we just praise you for this. So Lord, just help us and Holy Spirit, help us to understand your word as we continue to make our way through it that we might know you in truth, that we might know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in truth. Thank you, Lord. We love you and praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.